Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Una McDonald. She is a financial author uh, and expert on many areas of finance. Her latest book is called Cryptocurrencies, Money, Trust, and Regulation. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Una. Thank you very much, and thank you for inviting me. You've been my guest before, but for people who are not on the previous shows, just give them a brief background of your accomplishments leading into this book. Thank you. Well, as I have for many years been a consultant on financial regulation, and I've worked in a number of countries, such as Indonesia, Mongolia, Sri Lanka, and more recently, Ukraine and Moldova. So a wide experience on advising other financial regulatory, financial regulatory authorities. I've also written a number of books and articles. And as you rightly say, this is my most recent book where I've been studying cryptocurrencies and what their implications are, both for individuals and for the banking system. When I was in the UK and I served on the board of regulatory authorities there, I was very proud to be um, awarded with CBE, which is the commander of the British Empire by the Queen at Buckingham Palace for my contribution to financial regulation. So that's a thumbnail history. Excellent. Very, very good. Okay, we're going to get into detail about Bitcoin and how it's all uh, kind of come about here. But just kind of give me a sense. Of, we're going to go into the history of it, but I just want to know today, Bitcoin prices have been soaring. It's gone over like $66,000. It seems to have an enormous amount of momentum. What do you think is the recent reason why Bitcoin is doing so well? I think in terms of the general background for investments, unless you were investing in the stock market, there was little that seemed to bring such exciting returns. I think there are a number of reasons for it. First of all, it's new and different, and people gossip about it amongst themselves, and they say, just look at the price today, just look how much it's gone up. And so people suffer from, I say suffer from advisedly, the fear of missing out. And they look at the rise in price, but somehow or another don't quite notice the falls in price. It is extremely volatile and will continue to be volatile until the last Bitcoin is issued, the 21 millionth Bitcoin and who knows exactly when that will be and what its value will be then. I mean, some would say this is completely uh, a Ponzi scheme. It's a fraud. This is the next, this is the 21st century view of tulip bulbs. You're just buying it because it's going up. Uh, Jamie Dimon, the head of Chase Bank, said it's completely worthless. Is, is there a case to be made that this is all just an apparition and it's all going to come crashing down? I think there is, but we don't quite know when and how. What we do know is it fluctuates in value enormously. So if you decided to put your life savings in and buy the coin now, and uh, we'll discuss what's meant by a coin in a moment, uh, 
If you were to buy it now at, as you said, $66,000, but you don't intend to keep the money there for a long time, and six months later, you suddenly find that, oh, that's my savings, I need to use them now. You could have lost twenty or $30,000. In fact, what's, what happened, the spring, it got up to a similar level, and then it went down to about 30000 Exactly. And it's now come back to record record levels again. What made it go down so much, and why has it rebounded from thirty thousand? I think it's um, I think it's largely of what people are reading, and and who is saying what about Bitcoin. Um, for example, Ethan um, uh, uh, had made a, if someone makes an adverse. Some leading figure makes an adverse comment on Bitcoin, it plummets in price. If it's someone to whom they are going to pay attention, uh, such as the manufacturer of Tesla, or if it's some celebrity, then that's when people pay attention. I'm afraid that CEOs of banks don't necessarily carry the weight that they should carry in their comments on Bitcoin. So we're going to get into this in more detail, but there seems to be a very big divergence of the regulatory schemes and views towards Bitcoin. On one hand, you've got China, which basically wants to ban it all, stop all mining operations, and basically stop people from trading Bitcoin. And the other hand, you have places like Malta and El Salvador that want this to become their currencies, and they want to become Bitcoin nations. Why is there such a wide divergence amongst all the countries and their view towards cryptocurrencies? I think because, first of all, what is it and how does it fit or does it fit into our existing range of regulations? Um, is it a security or not, for example? Or is it an asset? What kind of asset is it? How should we advise people to um, invest in it or not? So that's what I found. People didn't know what to do with cryptocurrencies. They knew how to regulate securities, how to regulate banks, how to regulate investment advisors. But what is this strange new thing? And then, of course, for some of the uh, smaller countries like Malta, that set out to be the, the Bitcoin world to dominate. Why? Because how else did they think that they were going to earn a lot of money? These are not large countries. They don't have much by way of resources. I am not at all clear about the reasons for the president of El Salvador suddenly announcing that Bitcoin uh, was going to be le legal tender, and it is currently legal tender. What happened next is very interesting, and that's the bit that hasn't been highlighted. The people turned out on the streets and said, no, thank you. We don't know what to do with this. We don't have mobile phone or internet access throughout the country. And we're very happy with using our American dollars, which at least we understand. And we can hand paper dollars to each other and we can see what we're doing. So quite a lot of unrest in El Salvador, and I don't know how successful he will be. You could, of course, suggest that there are very many motives for that, um, such as the prevalence of gang warfare 
in El Salvador and the usefulness of Bitcoin to transfer um, assets from one person to another completely anonymously. So various reasons, I think. There are several countries that are in turmoil where Bitcoin has gained adherence, such as Venezuela, I guess Zimbabwe, places where the the currency is not worth much, if anything. Uh, People seem to have gone to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies instead of gold, as they might have in the past. Is that going to be a long-term trend, do you think? I think it's very difficult for such countries um, to know what to do. What what that does demonstrate with Venezuela and Zimbabwe is what does a country's currency really depend on? What do the coins and paper notes in your country actually depend on? They depend on the way in which the economy has been managed. Their value is directly related to that. And of course, there's very little that ordinary citizens have been able to do in Zimbabwe or Venezuela about ensuring that the country's economy is properly managed. So they resort to that as the only alternative, perhaps not realizing that it is still volatile. It still can be volatile within the day to the order of 12 or 14 percent. But it might appear to them to be better than the, um, it's going to say wheelbarrow loads, but that's, uh, that's an image from pre-war Germany the barrow loads of dollars and coins that you need to complete any even quite basic transaction. So it is a resort for them, but I think unfortunately people don't realize that it's unreliable, maybe not quite to that extent, but it's still unreliable for them. So you answer the question you asked, what is Bitcoin? Is it an asset? Is it a security is it a currency? Is it a commodity? You tell me what the right answer is. <laughs> I, I guess the best way to look at it as, is as an extremely unreliable asset. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the very term Bitcoin is hard for people to get used to because if you use the word coin, we inevitably think of the physical coins that we are used to. And Bitcoin is never, ever going to be translated into coins and notes. They they won't be Bitcoins of that nature to be passed from one to another. Basically, what you've got is two long strings of numbers, which you can see on your computer. And one of which you must be very careful with and that is the private key, this long string of numbers, difficult for anybody to actually remember. And as we now know, many people have either lost that private key, so their bitcoins have disappeared, they simply don't exist, they cannot access them. And even worse for the heirs of of a number of people who must be biting their fingernails in anger because in leaving bitcoins to their heirs, to their children, grandchildren or whatever, they forgot to leave the private key. So the heirs have inherited nothing, zero. 
<laughs> and now it's soaring in value to make it even worse. Very good. We're <laughs> going to take a break. Uh, my guest this hour is Una McDonald. Uh, she has a new book out called Cryptocurrencies, Money, Trust, and Regulation. You can find out more about it, it and her other works at her website, which is unamcdonald.com, spelled O-O-N-A-G-H, mcdonald.com. We'll be back after this. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then bringing them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, quantum computing, and more, in state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, and anywhere in between, our crowd is identifying innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest early on. Our crowd is the fastest growing venture capital investment community. Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies. 29 of those companies are unicorns, and many of our crowd's members have benefited from over 40 IPOs or sale exits of portfolio companies. Today, you can invest in Intellect, whose transportation innovation could save the airline industry $3 billion a year. Intellect uses machine learning to improve safety, recognize hazards, and reduce delays. They are used at major international airports, which serve over 100 million passengers annually. Invest today at our crowd. Invest in Intellect, in, Intellect at OURCROW.com slash answers. You can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash answers. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Una McDonald. She is a financial author, an expert in international regulation, and her latest book just out is called Cryptocurrencies, Money, Trust, and Regulation. You can find out more at her website, unamcdonald.com. Welcome back to the show, Una. Thank you. Let's go back to the beginning. You explained how Bitcoin began. Basically, it was like 2008, 2009. Just kind of briefly tell people how this whole uh, incredible saga began. It was the invention of someone known as Satoshi Nakamoto. No one knows who he is. But his aim after the financial crisis was to be able to pay for goods and services in a currency which was not issued by a central bank. And he thought he had solved the problem of the way in which these uh, transfers of the Bitcoin could be made from one to the other and how those uh, transactions could be recorded and not eradicated at all through something called a blockchain. And it involved a number of miners who create the bitcoins and who also confirm the transfer of bitcoins from one person to another. To make that transfer, you have to have both a public um, key, a series of numbers, and a private key. And it is only when you issue the money from your wallet, which is not, of course, a nice leather wallet that you keep in your hand, in your handbag um, or in your pocket, it is uh, a number on the internet again. And you you have to, in order to send money from one person to another, you have to know the account number on the other person's wallet. So what is the point of this? The point was to be able to transfer money, not dependent on a central bank, and for your transactions to be entirely anonymous because the private keys were not known. There would be no possibility of spending your Bitcoin twice because of the way in which he set up the uh, way in which the blockchain actually works. Problem number one is transfer of money anonymously. Well, that was very appealing to a lot of people, not just those who don't like big government or whatever, but those who were making money out of drug trafficking, human trafficking, sex trafficking, and other criminal means. And that has opened up a way for such people to be able to transfer money around the world at will and without anybody knowing about it. And then the person at the other end can, if the recipient can, if they wish, turn that money into dollars or euros or whatever their local currency happens to be. So he knew that at the time when he set it up, uh, that it was going to be that way. Is, is that something he was trying to do, was allow 
anonymous transfers of value so that uh, criminals could get away with things? No, I, I, it's curiously naive, You, in a way. You have to read, there's a whole book of his email exchanges with, with um, people who were similarly uh, experts in technology, in the internet. And I don't know that that ever really occurred to him, and I don't think that that was his aim. His aim was to move away from the central bank being able to oversupply money, thereby leading to inflation. So, in other words, there's a, a movement in America, a long-standing movement in America, who opposed the existence of a central bank. So I think it was avoidance of a central bank and subsequent inflation because they print too many, too many dollars. That was his motivation. And how did he come up with the 21 million number that could only only be mined 21 million? Well, that is very strange. Um, it was. It seems to have been a mathematical calculation. He actually thought that the value of Bitcoin would drop marginally below other leading currencies such as the euro. But if it didn't, and if it became a world currency, if we can imagine that with only 21 million Bitcoins in existence, when the number of transactions per year just looking at international transactions, run into billions, or when the total amount of money called hard money, that is the leading currencies, not those of Zimbabwe and Venezuela, uh, constitute currently just over 35 trillion pieces of currency, that it is hard to see that 21 million bitcoins, despite the fact that each bitcoin has 100 million satoshis, like cents. If you think of a dollar and a cent, that mm-hmm. you see what I'm, I mean <laughs> easily. Um, why he ever thought that that could be a, become a world currency and what would happen if it did... Uh, was only part of his his the possibilities that he considered. So he went somewhere in the middle with a rather simple mathematical calculation and ended up with twenty one million dollars. Now, whether we'll end up with twenty one million dollars is another matter because, as I said, some have disappeared because people have lost their private keys. It's not $21 million, it's 21 million bitcoins, right? That's right, yes. Yes. So, I mean, it's conceivably, could we get up to $21 million and it's maxed out and then people are crying for so much that they break that and they increase it beyond $21 million? Is there something, some immutable law of nature that's not going to allow it to go beyond $21 million? Not a law of nature. It could be with the rewards that the miners get for running the blockchain. And there are a couple of things to note, first of all, before I get to the final point of your question. Um, first of all, um, finding the number of the private key to complete the transaction 
is not solving a mathematical puzzle. If you think of it much more like a slot machine in a casino, where you keep putting coins and coins and coins in, hoping that you're going to be the winner and the big batch of coins will come tumbling out. It is much more like a slot machine. And in order to do that and have repeated endless number of guesses as to the numbers in the private key, you need larger and larger and larger computers and a huge amount of energy. The last estimate of the energy for mining Bitcoin, energy used for mining Bitcoins, was equal to the total energy output of Argentina. Uh, this is part of the reason, but only part of the reason, why China has banned both Bitcoins and mining Bitcoins, which was actually quite centralized in China, has moved away to other parts of the world. Who is willing to take on that energy commitment? Who knows? At the same time, the fee that the miners get for completing transactions and mining bitcoins is halved every so often. So the setup is that the miners will eventually get no bitcoins in reward for their mining the only way that they could continue to produce bitcoins is if they were willing to spend the money and then charge fees for the transactions. But as you can imagine, to cover the energy costs, the fees would have to be pretty high. So I don't really think we may not meet the, meet the 21 million and it may just peter out. So you're saying it's getting more complicated all the time to get new bit mine new bitcoins because the calculations get more and more complicated every time and the rewards are going down exactly exactly is that not, about the energy of this is going into other alternative coins ethereum litecoin other because uh, bitcoin is kind of petering itself out to some extent uh, yes, well, of course, there are a lot of alternative to bitcoins coming into existence. And then the increasing number of stable coins, which promise to deal with the issue of volatility. So now there are over a thousand stable coins in existence and more and more keep being produced. And the stable coins, big difference from bitcoin Bitcoin, as you know, is not related to any currency, to gold or any physical commodity. It is not related to anything else in the entire world. It's just, I'll use this not very accurate expression, it's just kind of whipped up on the internet. <coughs> but the stable coins are supposed to be exchangeable one for one with a dollar, mostly, or with a euro with yen or with pound sterling. In other words, all the leading currencies of the world. Yes. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. We're going to get into stable coins as well after the break. Uh, my guest this hour is Una McDonald. Her latest book is called Cryptocurrencies, Money, Trust, and Regulation. You can find out more about her work and this book at her website, unamcdonald.com. We'll be back after this. CharityVest provides a modern tax-deductible charitable giving account called a donor-advised fund 
to everyone. You can make donations of cash, stock, or even cryptocurrency to your account. Then you can invest your account balance, allowing it to grow tax-free. Finally, you can send funds to over 1.4 million charities whenever you're ready. CharityVest makes powerful, tax-smart philanthropy simple for everyone. It's a tax-deductible account. You can make donations of cash, stock, cryptocurrency uh, to over 1.4 million charities. Best of all, you get just one upfront tax receipt from CharityVest, no matter how many charities you support and when you choose to support them. You can put money aside, receive the tax advantages today, and then grow it while you figure out what you want to support. You can even give anonymously if you like. It adds an element of purpose to your life to put a place aside for your charitable money. You can be intentional about giving without any of the downside. When you have a stock or crypto investment that's gone up in value, you pay capital gains taxes on the increase in value when you sell it. But did you know that if you held an asset for more than a year, you can avoid paying those capital gains taxes altogether by donating the position to directly to charity. You can also take an income tax deduction for the market value of the position when you donate it. Think of it like a tax-advantaged double whammy. You get capital gains tax elimination and an income tax deduction. Traditionally, giving a stock or crypto has been complicated and cumbersome, but CharityVest is making it very easy. Simply create an account and tell them through the app uh, what you want to donate to. They walk you through the details and do all the hard work for you. Once your donation is complete, the cash value will be added to your fund, and you can reinvest it to grow it tax-free and send it to any charity at any time. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you should take a look at the web, the uh, app, which is charityvest.com, uh, and sign up for free uh, there. It's very easy to sign up and contribute and grant uh, money to any uh, charity. There are no fees for investings for 2022, so go to charityvest.org/moneyanswers and give CharityVest your email. They won't spam you. It's just there to allow you to set up an account with no fees. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Una McDonald, a financial author and an expert on financial regulation. Her latest book is called Cryptocurrencies, Money, Trust, and Regulation. You can find out more about this and her other work at her website, unamcdonald.com. Welcome back to the show, Una. Thank you. So people think of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as probably the most volatile thing out there. They're going up and down by literally thousands of dollars a day. But uh, stable coins are out there as well. You have a chapter on that called The Search for Stability. Explain yes. how stable coins work, why they're not volatile, and what their role is going to be in the financial system. Good questions. Right. First of all, stable coins were introduced just to avoid the volatility. And what they thought would be useful would be to a stable coin is simply a substitute for a dollar. So you can go to an exchange um, and buy or invest in a whole range of stable coins, uh, endless stable coins. And it's difficult to make the choice out of which ones you should choose. As I said, they're mostly linked to the US dollar and the euro, yen and pound sterling. Why those particular currencies? Because generally speaking, although of course they do go up and down in value, it is usually slower over a long longer period of time and you can or economists would suggest well we can chart how the value of the dollar etc is going to change by looking at and here's the key at the management of that country's economy and if it's well managed if it's doing well then the dollar tends to either remain stable or go up in value. So that was the search for stability. Of the stable coins in existence, one called Tether is the largest, and if you're looking at stable coins, the most well-known, but there are lots of others. But there was some scandal with Tether or something, wasn't there? Or what was the problem with Continuing scandals with Tether, because, you see, if you're going to buy... Um, if you're going to exchange $1 for one stable coin, but then you decide you want to change it back again, Tether claims that you get your dollar back. Now, in order to get your dollar back, Tether has to hold sufficient cash reserves to cover all the Tethers in existence, all the Tethers which it has issued in exchange for dollars. Uh, Okay, so Tether is not actually based in the UK. It went to the Cayman Islands and then to the British Virgin Islands. 
which are smaller, and although they do have regulatory authorities, obviously their regulatory authorities cannot be as well staffed or necessarily of the kind of quality that you would expect at the OCC, for example. And what Tether did, Tether was keeps promising, yes, yes, we'll publish our fully audited accounts, which will show what our reserves are, except they don't. Instead, they offer a kind of pie chart, which shows how much is held in cash and US government bonds. But a large amount is held in commercial loans. That is, loans that the that companies where companies have borrowed money from banks or elsewhere to continue functioning. Now, obviously, with the pandemic, I would say that commercial loans may not have quite the security that they have had in better times. Yeah. So, so commercial loans are themselves risky, yes. Yep. Are we going to be doing transactions buying and selling things in stable coins? Is that what's happening now and going to continue to happen? Well, that's what happens, yes. But I don't think people know, first of all, that the stable coin may not be as stable as it appears. And secondly, stable coins have been sold to the public by saying, well, this is a cheaper way of transferring money particularly for international transfers. But it isn't necessarily because many exchanges charge fees for changing your dollars into stable coins and then charge fees on sending stable coins to other accounts, particularly those who are, for example, sending money home for remittances, no. not large sums of money, therefore. I would say that the big mistake, particularly for the American banking system, is not everybody is banked. And when they are, transferring money can be extremely expensive relative to the small amounts of remittances that people want to send to India or to countries in Africa or wherever. Part of the appeal of cryptocurrencies was allowing international transfer with much lower fees than Western Union or something. Is that not happening? Um, for for Bitcoins, uh, transfers are extremely slow. For stable coins, the claim was lower costs, faster speed. I think that what stable coins need to do is to be much more transparent about the fees that they actually do charge. That is not always clear. So the exchanges should be obliged, and this is where regulation comes in, the exchanges should themselves be regulated, not all exchanges are by any means. Um, the Fed says that a lot have applied for, have the offer for regulating exchanges has been made, but many exchanges have not actually applied for registration and therefore regulation. So you have to be careful which exchange you pick. <clears throat> they charge fees, fees are not transparent, and the fees for transfer are not so apparent. But I think the other thing that they have to notice is this, that now there is competition 
things have moved on since stable coins were first introduced, and now there are much cheaper and fast wire transfer services. Still related ultimately to bank accounts, <coughs> but much easier to transfer money from one bank account to another. And some of these fast transfers, I can't obviously give names because I can't advertise them for you, <laughs> but um, are much quicker and cheaper than SWIFT and with other means of transferring money. So, so it's getting competition it's getting is intense. <laughs> What one proposal has been out there is Libra, the Libra coin from yeah. Facebook, but it was an entire consortium of financial firms around the world. It seemed to have a good start and then it slowed up. What has been the problem with Libra and do you think it's ever going to come out? Well, first of all, Libra spent a long time, the fear a long time with the Swiss uh, regulatory authority called FINMA <coughs> and they hesitated and they had their they put their application in but finma spent a long time assessing their application why because finma was being advised by 20 central banks and the central banks fear was that libra given its use of facebook for outlets um, would undermine national currencies eventually uh, facebook withdrew from Switzerland and is now fighting a battle on a limited scope, once again, to be much more like another stable coin, one-to-one -one with the dollar, and is looking for um, <coughs> recognition from the authorities here in, in the US. Problem for Facebook is, is privacy and use of data. We all know that Facebook has been heavily criticized for concealing the fact that it used people's data on Facebook and sold them to companies. And the fear is, it's a lack of trust really, in whether on the use to which the data will be put by Libra, now called DM by the way. <coughs> and I, heavy, Heavy lobbying going on here in D.C. Whether it will be successful or not, I doubt. One of the words in the title of my book is very important. The word trust. If you're going to send money, and we'll use that term to include all of these for the moment, then you have to trust the means of transfer and you have to be able to trust the recipient organization yeah. and right. you have to trust that your details, your personal data will be kept private and that is the issue here, it's the lack of trust. Facebook, yes. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Una McDonald. She's a financial author, an expert on international uh, financial regulation. Her latest book is called Cryptocurrencies, Money, trust and regulation you can find out more at her website unamcdonald.com we'll be back after this from the boardroom to you voice america business network 
Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Una McDonald, is a financial author, uh, expert in international financial regulation. Her latest book is called Cryptocurrencies, Money, Trust, and Regulation, you can find out more at her website, unamcdonald.com. Welcome back to the show, Una. Thank you. So one new development is central banks who are feeling threatened by cryptocurrencies are potentially going to launch their own cryptocurrencies, China maybe being the, the foremost of those, but others as well. Tell us how that's going to happen and how will that affect the cryptocurrency markets? Well, first of all, let's take China, because that's a very interesting example. I mentioned the energy costs of mining and how the miners have left China. But that's not the most important reason. The most important reason is that China is has banned Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Why? Because it wants its own central bank issuing their own central bank digital currency. It's already carried out um, experiments with that, which have been reasonably successful. I wouldn't say wholly successful, because people like what they're already used to, such as Alipay in, (coughs) in China. But the real purpose behind this is here, with the central bank digital currency, you have to link that in China with social credit, where you gain points or you lose points according to the ways in which you behave. And your behavior is very closely scrutinized using cameras, um, using facial recognition, and now, of course, using how you use the money that you have earned. But you've been saying that the key to cryptocurrencies is trust. This is the ultimate in not trusting. You're having Big Brother watching you every moment. How is that going to succeed if people do, do not trust it? Uh, well, the problem is in China, of course, that that trust you have to keep to yourself. Otherwise, with social credit, you are going to lose the ability to use your money in various ways if there are reasons uh, to object to your behavior and if you're not sufficiently supportive of the regime. <coughs> so you'll find, I mean, this happens at at various levels, you'll find that if your social credit score has dropped, you can't get on a high-speed train, 
you have to go on the old slow, or you can't um, book an, a flight anywhere, and particularly, of course, international travel. So the point so, of it is control. The point of it is another way of controlling. Absolutely, people. control. Yeah. And yeah. that is the danger with a central bank digital currency, because it depends really how you set it up. So, okay, so we'll come to the West. Yes. And if you set up a central bank digital currency here, how are you going to distribute it? And we've heard these words already. Well, you could have an account with the central bank. Okay, that sounds fine. Of course, you're going to trust the central bank, in, or most of you are going to trust the central bank in America, and certainly in the UK, and in other countries as well. So it isn't so much your account that you're worried about. It will have two effects. First of all, in the UK, the idea was that you had an account with the central bank, which would cover all your bills, and you had another account with a commercial bank. I found this very amusing because the central bank plainly didn't know that for most people, they can only afford to have one account. And by the time they've paid their bills and whatever other things they want to spend their money on, they've just about made it to the next paycheck. So you couldn't really have uh, two accounts, one to pay your bills, that's nonsense. And <laughs> the other problem here, again, is privacy. Um, how will we know whether or not the central bank, which will then have to have vast numbers of branches and civil servants dealing with every, there are over 140 million bank accounts in the US right now. So if the Fed was going to be running over 140 million um, current accounts, checking accounts, then that will lead to an immense bureaucracy. So one You're issue is not like that. I mean, some people say they would push out private currencies like a Bitcoin or Ethereum. You're sound, sounding pretty skeptical that's going to happen, that central bank uh, digital currencies are not going to be successful. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, I know. I think the real question is, should we do it? Um, should we allow the central banks to do it? Now, the other issue is the commercial banks. If you start taking um, accounts away from commercial banks, as what would inevitably happen, how are the commercial banks going to continue to exist? And this is very important because if you want to mortgage or if you want to borrow money to go on holiday, um, you're going to go to your credit card which may very well, or your debit card, which may very well be linked to your your bank account. And you're going to, who are you going to ask for the loans? Who will be able to lend to you? I think the real problem is not so much the disappearance of cryptocurrencies, but the undermining of commercial banks. So the banks in general have been supportive of cryptocurrencies. They all have trading desks. They're offering it in various ways now. Are yeah. they seeing this more as a, a, a friendly situation or are they seeing it more as, as a threat? I think if they think it through, yeah, cryptocurrencies, yes, it's tiny really in comparison to the total activities of any of the large commercial banks. Um, and I think if they think this through, they can see this as a threat to the commercial bank's existence. 
And that is why Sweden, for example, outside of China, was thought to be the first to move. But Sweden has actually, as I mentioned in my book, um, kicked the can down the road by referring it to a parliamentary commission, which will report in two years or maybe more. We all know that parliamentary commissions are a way of delaying making a decision. I think that we have to look at the notion of a central bank digital currency um, with great scepticism and that what the actually what the central bank would be much better especially in the US much better doing is faster faster and uh, reliable payment systems and cheaper pay, payment systems payment service companies coming into existence and using fintech, uh, fintech and um, blockchain and other uses of technology in order to bring that about. I would say, don't do it. You'll end up with commercial banks disappearing. In the roughly two minutes we have left, just kind of give us the vision of where cryptocurrencies are going. In 10 years and 20 years, is this going to become a major part of everybody's life? I don't think so. I think that the, I think Bitcoin itself will slowly disappear. Hmm. If because I don't really see that it is viable even as a means of investment, as an asset class, which is where most people are leading. I think that stable coins, provided that they are subject to proper regulation and have to keep proper reserves, that's going to make it extremely difficult for stable coins like Tether to continue to exist. And then, I, to me, stable coins are just parasites. And why would I bother to exchange my dollar for Tether and then pay somebody with Tether who then has to change it back to dollars again, assuming that's what they want to do? Yeah. Um, I think they're just parasitic. And the reasons for their coming into existence can be undermined and are likely to be likely to be undermined in the long run. That's my view. Well, thanks so much. We learned a lot. It's a very fascinating area that will be developing for sure, the whole world of cryptocurrencies. My guest this hour has been Una McDonald. She's a financial author, an expert in financial uh, regulation. Her latest book is called Cryptocurrencies, Money, Trust, and Regulation. You can find out more at her website, unamcdonald.com. Thanks so much, Una. I think we learned a lot about the whole fascinating world of cryptocurrencies. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. I enjoyed it. I hope your audience did too. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.